You are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Life Community Church. It's great to see all of you here today. For those of you that are online, good morning to you also, and thank you for being here, uh, digitally speaking, that is. Um, have a few announcements before we get started, but first, uh, our core values. We are a church for the city, seeking to make much of the name of Christ. And do this in four primary ways. Practice love with everyone always. Give more than makes sense to chase after the likeness of Christ in every corner of our lives, and to anchor ourselves in the unchanging truth of God's Word. Each of those are extremely important. Today we'll spend some time with that anchor ourselves in the truth of God's Word one. I have one other announcement, uh, church-wide announcement today. Uh, children's ministry restart, that is September 13th. Uh, so that's next week, yeah, um, I think, maybe. If not, that's okay. You know where the 13th is, you can read the calendar. I don't know what day it is today. So uh, <clears throat> all children must pre-register. That's at the 1030 service only, and uh, spaces will be limited for that. So please register your children. You'll be getting a text and some other communications about that this week. If you have questions about that or would like to know more, you can meet with Brett and Jared today after service in room 10. They will be there to answer question, any questions you may have. So those are the announcements. So I'll pray, and then we'll do like a sermony type announcement, and then we'll go from there. Sound good? Okay, thanks. I'll pray. Dear God, I thank you for this day. I pray that, uh, that I would speak your word. Help me, um, help me to convey what your word is saying to us today. Help me to represent you well. Help us to hear what it is you have to say to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So here's uh, my short little announcement. Some of you may know I do some counseling at Brick House or Brick House of Love and Shepherd Ministries. And some of you have asked me how things are going. Uh, so I'll give you an update on that. And some of you, you've probably never, you may not have asked me, but you've probably thought it. You've probably thought, I wonder how things are going at Brick House. And if you hadn't thought that before, maybe I just implanted that thought into your head just now. So I'll answer that question for you. Thanks for asking. Uh, we merged with Loving Shepherd Ministries back about a year ago. And since that time, we've been able to provide uh, over 500 hours of free counseling to foster and adoptive families. That's become our focus, is try to support families in our community who are doing foster and adoptive care. Because that's not always easy, so we've been able to provide a, a lot of counseling for those families. Um, secondly, we have one home open with teen girls. That is the Main Street town, or house here in town. I call it the townhouse, and then sometimes I say that. People are like, what are you talking about? It's the townhouse because it's the house in town, so that's what it is. Anyways, um, I have three girls there that's going well, very happy with that. And then we have the farmhouse. is still not open yet. That'll be a home for teen boys. 
The main reason why I bring this up today is we are looking for a family to live in that home, looking for a family uh, who may be interested in a unique missions-type opportunity to house young men in the foster care system. Um, we're, along with DCS and some other organizations that are in the community, working to partner with that family and support them and make sure they have what they need to love those um, teens well. So we hope to do the, the same thing out at the farm, if they have interest in that. Uh, contact, contact me later. Uh, I said in first service, if somebody has my number, feel free to ask them for that. You can ask me for that number. And then I thought to myself, I may get in lots of phone calls. Um, that's fine. Go ahead and, and call if you have any interest in that or email. Either way is fine. Um, yeah, so that's that announcement. And it ties very nicely into what we're talking about today, talking about family. We've been talking for the past month or so about what it means to be set apart. What does it mean to live as a follower of Christ in this world? It's, we have a pretty good idea that it's more than just what we do on Sunday mornings, right? It's more than just coming to church and worshiping Jesus and maybe giving our tithes and offerings and then listening to a sermon and thinking that was awesome and then leaving and then our lives kind of not really being that much different. I think we have an idea that it's more than that. And over these past few weeks, we've been able to walk through what that looks like in some specific areas of our lives, and that's been extremely helpful. Today, we're talking about this idea of family. What does it mean to live within a family, to be a family that's set apart? Primarily, this concept of parenting. Now, I understand and I know that some of you here are not parents. Uh, we'll have some things for you also. We'll, be, we'll talk about this idea of discipleship, and that'll make sense. And some of you are maybe even wondering, why would anybody ever want to have kids? And those of us who are parents, sometimes we wonder the same thing. Like, let's, just, let's just be honest. This is a safe spot. We can all be honest. We can all laugh about it. It's fine. But it's true. Sometimes, well, I didn't want to do that. Like, I have a friend. Um, I have more than one friend. I have two. Okay? There's Tara and this other guy I'm about to talk about. Anyways, uh, I was a buddy who, uh, my wife and I, Tara and I, we had kids before they did, and uh, our friend group all had kids before they did. And so we always, you know, kids are great. They're so much fun. They're such a blessing. Yay. And then he told me, after they had their first child, he was really tempted to call me the first time his kid woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning and wouldn't go back to sleep and remind me how much great kids are and how great kids are. And uh, I just want to share in that experience with him. I was really thankful he didn't do it. And we still give, a hard give each other a hard time about it. So we all have those moments, right? So as we jump into this, another disclaimer, okay? I mentioned before, I do counseling, uh, primarily working with teens and family, families. But I want you to know that I'm not coming from this place as somebody who has it all together, right? So I have a degree in marriage and family therapy, and what that means is I spent a lot of time trying to learn about marriage and family and therapy, right? So like two and a half years, I think the degree took, and a lot of stuff, a lot of books. I've got a whole shelf of books, some of which I've read, but I still have them on my shelf because it makes me look really smart. They're like, oh, he has a lot of books. He must have read them all. I haven't read them all, but I have a lot of books. Uh, I've read a lot of books, and I'm still not an expert, right? There are still times when my kids will come to me, or something will happen, and they'll say something, or they'll do something, and I'll just be like, nah, I got nothing. I don't know. Uh, go ask your mom. How about, how about we do that? That's a, good, that's a good maneuver, by the way. Or uh, let's call grandpa. 
great poll, no. All right? We've all had those moments as a parent, as a person who knows kids or knows teenagers. And we think to ourselves, what are we doing here? I have no idea. So I want you to know that as I'm talking today, I'm not talking to somebody who has it all figured out. Okay? I don't ever want to give anybody that idea because you will be sorely disappointed the more we get to know each other. But I also don't want to sound condescending or anything like that. Secondly, parenting has to do with this idea of discipleship. And that's a pretty big deal. And I think that's something that all of us can apply to our lives. Whether we have kids or we don't have kids, we think kids are strange or kids think we're strange. It's probably both, by the way. Um, Regardless of where we're at, this idea of discipleship and living as somebody who has kind of a discipleship mindset, that can... That is extremely important. As we see, as we dig through Scripture today, as we anchor ourselves to the truth of God's Word, we'll see that that's an important concept to God also. So please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20 is where we'll start. Where we will start. So Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, says this. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So this is some of Jesus' last recorded words, right? Before he ascended into heaven. And his last charge to us is go. Like, go. And not just go and do anything, but go and make disciples. Go and teach people about what it means to live for him. You almost get the idea that Jesus is saying, these same things that you've heard me teach you, that you've seen in my life, go pass those things on to other people. Now, this idea of discipleship is extremely, as I said, extremely, extremely important because discipleship is what helps us actually know God's truth, helps us actually know what God's word is and then how God's word actually applies to our lives. And then that becomes the anchor when life is chaotic. And I don't know about you, but it seems like this past year life has just been a little bit on the chaotic side, right? Just a little bit strange, a little bit weird, a little bit chaotic, and there's lots of voices. There's lots of things going on. So as parents, one of our primary jobs is to make sure that our kids are discipled and they know what God's truth is, and then they know how to apply that truth to their lives. And for those of us who maybe aren't in parenting phase of our life, there are other people in our life who also, 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 also desperately need to know that truth and know how to apply that truth in their lives. Like, we need people like that. I heard somebody say once, everybody needs Paul, right? Somebody like the Apostle Paul to disciple us, to sow into our lives, to feed into our lives, to help us grow. Somebody we can observe and kind of model our life after them as they model their life after Christ, to borrow a phrase from Paul. And then secondly, everybody needs, everybody needs a Timothy. Everybody needs somebody in their life that they're pouring into, that they're feeding into, regardless of where we are in life. We need to be pouring ourselves into other people. 
Because here's something that I found. I learned far more from trying to teach others and do things for others than I do just trying to do it for myself, right? It's almost like my attention is more on point. It's more like, oh, I really got to pay attention. I'm going to be helping somebody else here. Whereas if it's just me, it's just kind of like, eh, whatever. Like, okay, so sometimes I'll make food, okay? Anybody here make food ever? A few of us, the rest of us go out to eat all the time. That's cool, whatever. Um, I'm slightly jealous, but I, I try to make food, right? Now, if I make food for myself, I have this wonderful thing, that I try to make, uh, I like to make, called, depending on what time it is, either a leftover casserole or a leftover omelet. In which case, I take all the things I can find left over, and I try to put them together in creative ways with cheese and hot sauce on them, and then I call it a casserole. And it's delicious, and I love it. Or, in the mornings, I do the leftover omelet, where I take eggs, and I scramble them, and I throw a bunch of other stuff in with them also. Which, if it's scrambled, it's not an omelet anymore, is it? That just ruined my world. Man, I hate it when that happens. Anyways, uh, leftover egg scramble, we'll call it that, right? Now, if I'm doing that for myself, that's fine. If I try to do that for anybody else, most people don't have the acquired taste of food that I have. Like, and by that, I mean they're not a lazy eater like me, who's capable of just throwing a bunch of stuff together, right? If I'm doing something for somebody else, I'm much more on point. When it comes to discipleship, as you find somebody, as you start to think differently about raising kids and start to pour into them in terms of faith, you'll start to see this book a little bit differently. You start to see living this life just a little bit differently because it's like it means more all than something. It almost feels like there's more on the line. I mean, that's a good thing. We need a little bit of challenge in our life from time to time. Secondly, about discipleship, it's not just a mental thing, right? It's not just an idea, it's a way of life. When in New Testament times, when Jesus was a rabbi, a teacher going about, there were disciples, the 12 disciples, and then others also, and they followed him around, and they lived life with him. They saw the way he did things. They didn't just hear the things that he taught, they saw the way that he did things. And then as time went on, they started to act more like him. In fact, there's a line in the scriptures where it says they knew that they'd been with the master because of the way that they talked, the way that they acted, the way that they lived. And this happens in our lives too. So after I was uh, done with high school, I had very little idea what I wanted to do with my life. So I spent a year in Michigan in a little town called Mount Pleasant. Uh, side note, there's no mountain in Mount Pleasant. I was sorely disappointed when I went there the first time. Um, Mount Pleasant, there's got to be a, at least a tall hill, maybe? Nope, it's flat. Um, I loved it anyways. Okay, so at a program called Master's Commission, it was a year-long discipleship program, and the pastor there, his name was Pastor Ron, and I had listened to him speak before going up there. I even went up there to visit one weekend to meet him and heard him talk and thought, this is good, I agree with this. I was high school, I didn't know what I was talking about anyways, but I was like, okay, this seems like a good spot, I want to be here. But as I spent more time with him, I saw the way that his life actually worked. And as he began to disciple me, I started to pick up some of the same traits that he had. Now, some of them are a little bit annoying, and you've probably noticed it already. I talk with my hands a lot. Like, it's just, it's ridiculous, to be quite honest with you. But I can't stop. It's just something that I do. In fact, the first time I wore a mask and had a conversation with somebody, my hands were just all over the place. It was like I had to make up for not having half my face and Partway through the conversation, as I thought, saw my left hand go flying out of the corner of my eye, I was like, 
That's a bit much. But I just put my hands down. <laughs> but I just sit on them for a little while, all right? Well, that was something he did. He was always talking with his hands. He'd do this little maneuver here, and then I started doing that maneuver there, and then people made fun of me for it. But I still do it. It's fine. Another habit that I picked up of his that I haven't implemented in my life as much lately, when he would get in stressful situations, he would pray. Like he, he would just pray. Like, and I like, basically lived with this guy and saw that it was actually a part of his life. It was actually something he did. Like we were lost driving one time. He had, according to him, he didn't know where he was, and this was before GPS was really a thing. He was like, all right, well, Lord, help me find this buffet. Help me find this buffet, Lord. I think it was just it's like this conversation. Then it was just like, oh, there we are. Like, it seems like such a strange thing, but he would do that in big situations or little situations. See, I wouldn't have known that had I not actually spent time with him. And that's what this idea of discipleship is, is actually spending time with people and seeing how they live their lives so that we then can apply the truth of God's word to our lives. As parents, that's what we need to be doing. As we're trying to think through and implement this idea of family discipleship into our lives, that's how it needs to work, where we actually show them what life looks like. As leaders, as people who are trying to invest in others, we need to be trying to do that for them, to actually show them what life looks like. It can be difficult and it can be messy. We get this idea sometimes, especially as parents, that, okay, if I just, and you just need to send my kid to all the church things, Right? When you go to church on Sunday morning, they need to be involved in kids' church, youth group, Bible studies, Wednesday night stuff. And all of those things are extremely, extremely good. I'm not trying to diminish those things at all. But it has to start in the home. The faith development of my kids has to start with me and their mother, with the parents, with the people who are, that they see the most. Like if they see me say one thing on a Sunday morning, this is one of the downfalls of preaching, right? They see me talk about, you know, being calm and praying when I get frustrated, and then I don't do that when I get home today when I'm trying to light a campfire and I won't light, and I'm tempted to throw the matches across the, almost said house. You don't do campfires in the house, Adam. Across the yard, uh, like, they're probably going to know, well, maybe dad needs to work on that just a little bit, right? It's a little bit, little bit tricky sometimes, but we need to be shown that them. It can't just be expecting them just to pick it up. Then there's a great, not great, but a uh, timely passage of Scripture that points to that. So turn with me to Judges chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. Judges chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. And a bit of a background on where we are in the story of Israel at this time. Um, Moses and Joshua and Aaron had led the people out of Egypt. The nation of Israel were no longer slaves in Egypt and they're on the way to the promised land. And they kept just messing th- things up. Kept not trusting God. Kept doing the things opposite of what God wanted them to do. And I know sometimes I'm tempted to read that and say, those people, what was wrong with those people? And not realizing that I kind of do the same thing in my own life, not doing the thing God wants me to do. But they just keep wandering around the desert, wandering around the desert. And finally it comes to a boiling point when God says, all right, the people who were in charge in this generation they don't get to go into the promised land. They can see it from a distance, but because of their actions, they don't get to go into the promised land. Instead, Joshua and Caleb and that new generation of leaders, they'll be the ones to lead the people into the promised land. So these people then, they lead God's people 
into the promise. The thing they've been waiting for for so long. And they saw tremendous miracles as that happened. They saw God, God do amazing things. Like one of the examples right off the bat, right? God stops the Jordan River and they're able to cross on dry land. And most scholars and historians think that the time that they did that was probably during flood season. So probably just a, it's not like a stream, not like a, not like a ditch, but it was like a big river, big river, right? And as the priests step in their foot into the river, the water stops and they're able to cross on dry land. It's just an amazing, amazing miracle. And then they get to the city of Jericho, the city that was supposed to be undefeatable because its walls were so incredible. And God's plan for defeating the city is to march around it a few times and then blow a trumpet. Strange plan, but okay, let's go for it, right? So the people of God, they do that. They march around it. And I don't remember how many times, but they march around it and then they blow the trumpet and it comes tumbling down. And throughout this journey, God does incredible, incredible things through his people, for his people. And you would think if faith and discipleship was nothing more than just letting people see that, and then that was enough, and just live in our life, and just say, okay, I'm going to do the church things that I need to do. I'm going to do the miraculous things that God wants me to do in their case. Then it would pass on pretty easily to the next generation, you would think. That's not the way it works out. So, Chapter 2, verse 6, the book of Judges. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel, went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua and had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in timnath Harris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work he had done for Israel. So somehow that generation that saw those amazing things that God did did not pass that faith on, pass that trust on, trust that knowledge of God on to the next generation. And it says there arose up another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work he had done for Israel. And then the book of Judges in the next few verses are just a mess. Just a mess. You know, the people of God, it says they do evil in the sight of the Lord and start serving false gods. God had done such amazing things, such miraculous things. Why would you trust anything else? But they go after these other things instead. And then throughout the history of Israel, really, from this point on, it's good for a little bit, crumble and fall. Good for a little bit, follow God for a little bit, crumble and fall. Forget God and not follow Him. That's just the pattern of their life from this point on. That generation managed to not pass it on to the next. They had seen it. They had lived it. They didn't pass it on. So it has to be more than just, okay, we'll do the things, right? We'll do the things. We'll, we'll do the stuff. We'll check the boxes. We'll go to church. We'll sing. We'll give our tithes and offerings, and then we'll leave, and that's it. It has to be more than that. There has to be a part where faith starts to become their own, 
we start to set up life in such a way, live life in such a way, that faith becomes their own. There's this phrase that gets repeated a lot throughout Scripture where it's, uh, you know, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, right? The God of David. But every once in a while, you see somebody like David said, the Lord my God. There's this idea that for some people, it's God is, is theirs. They're worshiping God with their life. It's their faith. But for others, it's just the faith of my forefathers, just the faith of my ancestors. It's not my faith. And with our kids, our goal is for faith not to be my faith, the faith of their dad, the faith of their mom, the faith of their grandma or grandpa, but their faith, something they live out. And as we're working with people and we're trying to disciple others and we're trying to be a Paul to somebody's Timothy, we want it to be their faith, not just my faith. They're not just doing the things because Adam thinks it's a good idea, but to actually live it for themselves. So how do we get to that place where it's not just a mental thing that they're talking about, not just something they're seeing in our lives, but something that they're actually bringing in, into their own brain and letting it be a part of who they are? Well, turn with me to Deuteronomy Chapter 6, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 3 is where we'll start. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. It says this, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules, that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. This is Moses speaking, by the way. That you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it that you may fear the Lord your God and your son and your son's son by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, though, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey." All right, so from this passage, before we get into the next section here, God is trying to make sure that the people know that they need to know his commandments, right? They need to know his word. So if we're going to be people who disciple others, who have parents who disciple our kids, like we have to know this word for ourselves. Like we have to spend time with it. It has to become a part of who we are. Like the writer of Hebrews talks about how God's word is to be written on our hearts and Talk about this even here in Deuteronomy, where it's just, it's just a part of who we are, right? It just becomes a part of how we live. And I think that's what this idea of being set apart is, where it's not always something that I have to say, okay, I need to do this now, then I need to do this, and I just need to do that, where it just becomes, it becomes who I am, like to where I, I'm not going out of my way to try to be a Christian, that I'm just being who, who God made me to be, because I have newness of life. This is a Big thing, big theme. Sometimes words are hard. Let's just be honest. Sometimes they're hard to say. This is a big theme in the New Testament where Christ, we've been raised to new life. Like, this is my identity now. Like, I'm somebody who follows Christ. I'm not that person that I once was who responded to things in pretty terrible ways and had some weird thinking about stuff. Now, I still have some weird thinking about things, right? But I just got to tap that back a little bit and calm down. Anyways, <clears throat> but we need this just to be a part of who we are. And that's what God is getting at here in this first part. 
Then in verse 4, he talks about why that's so important. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. In these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be frontlets as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. All right, so there's lots of stuff there. That verse 8, he talks about all these places where the Word of God should be, right? It should be frontlets, which are uh, little boxes that uh, Jewish people, Hebrew people wear sometimes, um, that they would put Scripture stuff in, and then they'd have this box on their head. I imagine that's slightly uncomfortable. Never worn a box on my head before. And I imagine you notice it out of the top of your eyeballs, right? And you would say, oh, Word of God. Ah, Word of God, right? That's the idea that God is getting at here, that it needs to be present in our mind. We need to be thinking about it. But the way he talks about passing it on to our kids, it's more than just, okay, I need, to, I need to do this thing, then I need to do that thing, and have this Bible study, have an hour-long Bible study here, and have a two-hour prayer meeting at home before we go to bed at night, right? That's not doable, right? That's, I can try the two-hour prayer meeting thing, but I'm guessing somebody is going to fall asleep. Right? And they're, they're going to be praying in their sleep, most likely, which is a funny thing to happen. Happened to a buddy of mine one time. <laughs> he was sleeping. We were at this prayer meeting. when we, were, uh, we worked at church camp, side note. And he fell asleep. He was out cold, almost snoring. And then my mom came up and kind of like smacked him on the shoulder to wake him up. And he, first thing he said, Amen. Amen. Like he didn't miss a beat. Like, how do you even do that? That's some next level sleeping. Anyways, if you try just to add, just, just add more stuff to your life, you're going to get overwhelmed, right? Because that's what life does. We have all these great ideas, and we think that if we don't do these things, then I'm not doing it, right? I can say, okay, I'm going to go home tonight. I'm going to do a I'm going to do the big Bible study with the kids. And those are all good things. Please hear me. I'm not saying those are bad things. You shouldn't try to pray with your kids. Or you shouldn't try to do Bible study with your kids. Those are extremely, extremely good things. But if it's just these big event things, then that's not going to seal it in tight. That's part of discipleship is just, okay, how do we live life? How do we do life here? And that's what he's talking about here. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You should talk of them when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Just as you're living life, let's talk this stuff through. You know, put it in vernacular, vernacular of today, words we might use today, right? As you're driving to the store, as you're going to get groceries, as you're sitting down to rest as a family for supper, as you're sitting around a campfire, on a long Labor Day weekend. Talk about me. Talk about God. Right? And it doesn't always have to be like in weird ways. Like if it, I don't know if you've ever been there before, but I've been there before where I try to bring something up and like try to have a conversation about something, like a spiritual conversation, and I don't do it very smoothly, and it's just kind of weird and awkward. And like we're having this normal conversation, I'm just kind of, so Jesus, and the person I'm having a conversation was like, where did, 
where did that come from? Like, that didn't make any sense, right? But I think what we're getting at here is just a part of life. So I had an opportunity to do this this week. Um, again, I'm not always great at this, but had an opportunity with uh, just one of my kids. It doesn't happen very often. We have three. And we had to go somewhere for an appointment, and we had some time beforehand, and we were hungry. And as stated before, I like to eat. Uh, so we stopped, and we got some lunch at a local fast food restaurant, and we pulled over in the parking lot and just ate our food and had a conversation about life. Right? There's lots of stuff going on in the world today right now. And we see bits and pieces of it in the news. We don't watch a whole lot of news in our family. It's not because we don't like the news. It's because our TV wasn't working for a long time. So we just didn't watch it. Like if you live out in, in the boonies and the antenna doesn't get reception, you just you sit and you stare at each other. That's what you do. Not really. You watch Netflix. That's what you do. You watch Netflix. It's not as cool as it sounded. Um, but we just, we just didn't talk about it a whole lot. But this was actually the first conversation that we have. So it was just... So what do you think about this? Oh, okay. How do you think God would want us to respond? Oh, okay. And I think that's part of what the writer of Deuteronomy, Moses, and God through him is getting at here. Just in these conversations. And you have no idea how powerful those conversations are. You may think it is the small, smallest thing but to actually help them think through these big issues of our day and then how we respond to them as people following Christ, that is so important because someday your kids won't be kids anymore. They'll be adults and they'll be making those decisions on their own. And some of you are living that life right now where your kids aren't kids anymore. Like, they're still your kids, and I get that. They'll always be your kid. But someday, they'll be your kid who does whatever they want and doesn't listen to you anymore. Right. Maybe they do that now. I don't know. Mine do that now sometimes, again, if we're being honest. Uh, but we want them to try to think through life on their own. A great verse in the book of Psalms where um, it says, uh, it talk about children being a blessing. And they're like, arrows in a warrior's hands. Blesses the man whose quiver is full of them. Like, there's this idea that God actually has a purpose for our children. That God actually wants to do something in the world through them. Because that's what an arrow was in that time, right? It wasn't just something that you just kind of like, oh, look at that arrow. That's a cute arrow, isn't it? I like that arrow. But you actually used it for something. And there's this idea that God actually has a plan and a purpose for our kids. So it's our job as parents as people who are trying to disciple them, is not just to raise kids. Like, they already know how to be kids. Like, I didn't have to teach my kids how to be kids. Like, when they were little, I didn't have to teach them how to try to stick their finger in a light socket. It just happened, right? Because that's what kids do. When you're a kid, you try to stick your finger in a light socket. I don't know why that is, but that's what kids do. I didn't have to teach my kids how to take random things they found outside and put them in their mouth, right? They just knew how to do that because that's what kids do. Some reasons why they do that. But whatever. I didn't have to teach them how to do that. That's, they just did that. The things I need to teach them how to do is how to be a man of God. How to be a woman of God. How to be somebody who impacts the world and thinks through things in such a way that represents God well. And that's hard. But that's our charge as parents. But I think the great news is that it doesn't have to be just adding more stuff to our life. Can we become a part of how we live as we lie down, 
as we walk along, walk, walk along the road, as we sit down around the dinner table at night? How do I think about these things in a way that would honor Christ well? Culture's a crazy place. Culture will always be a crazy place. It's always been a crazy place. Our job as parents and our job as people who are discipling others, not just parents, is to help others think through those things well, see the way we do it, and then think for themselves and follow Christ for themselves. Will you pray with me? Dear God, I thank you for this time. God, I pray that we would do that. I pray that we would be a people who disciple well, not just our kids, but others that we interact with, be people we work with, people we're trying to witness to, represent you well to. Help us to be a people who make this just a part of our life, not just a mental thing we think about or things that we say, but how we actually live. Yeah, we thank you for that. Thank you for the strength that you give us in that. And help us just to find those places this week. In your name, amen.